0: relationship with Christ. And so that's a testimony of one of those guys, Noah. And Noah discovered what he was put on earth to do. At first, he was trying to invest all his time and his energy in pursuing his dream. And upon achieving some of his goals, he just he sensed he was still empty. And I think this really does communicate some of what we've been looking at just about how God, he has some purposes that he has he has written for our lives. He has laid out in the scripture, in the Bible for our lives and we need to discover His purposes for who we really are. Noah, this guy, he came to the point where he was empty. He understood that life without God was empty. And that nothing, no achievement, no, no you know, dream fulfilled would even, full, would even fill the emptiness until he connected with his Maker. It's because God has actually made each one of us to connect with Him. There's a, there's a part inside of each one of us that wants to know who God really is, and what life is all about. Um, I'm trying to help my children understand this. My oldest is six, and he and I have been just uh, recently begun getting up in the mornings before he goes to school, and while while we're eating bowl cereal together, um, just reading through the Bible. And so I'm reading with him, and it's really, I'm having a great time. Of course, I would enjoy this anyways, but it's just really fun hearing the questions that he asks, and... Um, we we read through the scriptures. I explain things. He asks questions. I ask him questions. And then as we walk to school, I try to focus because we live two block two blocks from his elementary school. I try to focus on the application. And I ask him, well, how, how do you think God would want you to apply this to your life? And he cut me off in my in the middle of my question. He just said, Dad, why do you read the Bible so much? And why do you read books about the Bible so much? And then he, and then he thought for a second. And I was thinking as he was asking and, and he said, I know it's because you're a pastor, huh? And I said, Not entirely. I said, Not entirely. But the truth is that God He made us. And I want to know everything I can about my maker. And and He wants to know you and and He wants you to connect with Him and His ways and And, and that's that's what really living, you know, that's that's what life is all about. is finding out what God has made me to do and then doing it. Living not just for myself and my ways, but figuring out what is it that he's designed me to do and then live in light of those things. I, and I want my kids to learn that early on in life. I don't want them to be stumbling around like I was in my life until my you know, college years to where I really decided to firm things up with God, nail things down with him, and just kind of walked my own path. I want my, own, I want my kids to really understand that at an early age and to save themselves some of the stress and pain that I, I experienced. But we were made by God and for God. If you'd like, you can follow along. We're going to kind of walk through this um, outline here. We were made by God and for God. We actually bring God pleasure. He is pleased to know us, to relate to us. Scripture says this in, in Revelation 4.11. Revelation, one of the last books of the Bible, says, you, God, created everything. God Himself, He created everything, and it is for your pleasure that they exist and were created. Nothing that has been created, the Scripture saying, wasn't created for God's pleasure. He created it all, it all exists for His own pleasure. And just as parents delight in their kids, God delights in us. He delights in us because He made us. You know, those of you who are parents, you delight, it delights you, it warms your heart when your kids do something right. They don't even have to do things right. They could just be funny, and your your heart kind of warms up because you see something they're doing, and you're like, "Man, this is just this is special." They're a part of me in this unique way. And you know, if your kid gets an award, you know, you're just shining. And it might have been the simplest thing. You know, they they spelt the letter A correctly, and they get an award, and you're like, "That's my boy, he did it." You know, or when they learn something new, you know, you're you're just thrilled to see that accomplishment. Or when they get all dressed up, you know, they're, they're looking really pretty and cute, and you're just thinking, you know, that's my little girl, that's my little boy, you know, look at the way he's growing, she's growing. When they get, you know, when they get an out in a t-ball game, I got to experience this for the first time yesterday. Now, it's t-ball, you don't keep scoring, there's technically no outs, but my son got like five, six guys out, and it was pretty exciting for me as a parent. <laughs> and uh, he was the catcher, and so uh, just one inning, I let him play catcher, and and he understood the concept. He was sitting there and, and, you know, the ball usually gets hit to the shortstop or the pitcher. And so I told the pitcher, well, we were sending everything home, saying, you know, get the ball, field it, and throw it home. And Gabe's ready. So he, the ball's hit and he goes, throw it, throw it, throw it, throw it. <laughs> and he's waiting for the ball and the ball gets thrown to him and he's tagging guys out and oh, I was loving it. I was eating it up because I, I was just like, man, that's, that's my son. He's, he's getting guys out. I mean, now we can't cheer too hard because you don't want to make the other kid cry, but but there's just this pleasure side of seeing him do the game right, you know? And I think when God sees us do our lives the way that he's designed us to do it, when we do what he's made us to do, God's in the same way. He's pleased with us. He's saying, That's my son, that's my daughter. They're living on purpose. They're not just living recklessly, they're not wasting their lives, they're not chasing after empty pursuits or dreams, but they're doing what I designed him to do. He loves us. God initiated love towards us, and he wants us to love him back. Look at what it says in Matthew 22, 37 through 38. Jesus was asked, What's the greatest commandment? And he says this. He says, Love the Lord your God. This is the first and the greatest commandment. This is the most important thing, he's saying. If you, if you want to know what everything is wrapped up in, he says, Love God more than anything. Make it be the first, the most important thing in your life. Don't miss that, he's saying. And so worship is, is loving God. When we, when we love God truly, it's, it's one way of describing that is we worship Him. Worship is knowing and loving Him back. And this is our, our first purpose that we're really looking at here as we look at God's purposes for our life. Some of you are reading a book, Purpose Driven Life, and you're in small groups that are discussing it. And, and I hope that as you're getting into that book, you're really discovering more and more of who you are, how God has made you to be a specific kind of person, and to live in a certain way, but this is the first purpose that that we want to look at is God. My first purpose in life is to worship God, to worship Him. In the Old Testament, the word for worship had to do with a person's position before God—to lay prostrate, to depress themselves, to fall at the face of someone whose royalty. Um, that was the idea of worship in the Old Testament. It was a it was a positional understanding, and and the word really. Every time it comes up, it describes the, the fact that a, a person lowers themselves before the one that they're praising or that they're giving homage to. And in the New Testament, it has to do with how that worship, the, the, the lowering of oneself, is, is lived out through service. How we worship God through serving Him. So worship in the New Testament is about serving the Master in a sense. Um, so imagine you lived in a in a kingdom and there's a king and you work for the king. Worshiping him meant serving his commands, serving and doing the things that were important to him. So in the Bible, this idea of worship, it really is an all-encompassing idea. It's not just singing. Sometimes we think of worship as uh, going to church and singing. Um, that's the worship time. When the worship leader, Cody's our worship leader, when the worship leader prompts me to sing, then I'll worship. But worship, according to the Bible, is so much more than just singing. It's more than even praying. It's more than giving. Those are all acts of worship, but those are not just. That's not all it is. Look at Romans twelve one. It says, "Because God, because of God's great mercy to us, because of what God has done for us, offer yourselves as living sacrifices to God, dedicated to His service and pleasing to Him." This is true worship. This is the true worship that you should offer. So, true worship is defined as. Offering ourselves. It's saying to God, I'm yours. Putting ourself on the altar and saying, God, I am yours for your purposes. Do with me as you wish. Fulfill your purposes in my life. Not just give me everything I want. So true worship is 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 an offering. It's a surrendering of our own will, our own desires. Worship is my response to God's love. It's our response to what God has already done. When kids are grateful, it does warm our hearts. And in the same way, when we respond to God's love, it pleases Him. He likes it when we respond to what He's already done. Worship is also giving back. Okay, it's giving back to God. Because what we're doing is we're essentially, when we when we worship Him, which can happen outside of church, you can worship God at home, you can worship God on a walk, you can worship God in church, you can worship God at work. But worship is giving back because you're saying to him, God, you are my rightful owner. And I'm giving you back what is rightfully yours. My life. My praise. My very existence. I'm giving it back to you and saying, I'm yours. Jesus said this. This verse, Mark twelve thirty, sums up this idea of worship. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, all your mind and all your strength. This is the idea of give yourself completely over to God, to surrender to Him. Surrender is an unpopular idea in our society because it implies you're losing. Surrender is the person who gives up to the, he's the criminal who gives up to the cops, right? And he's captured and he, and he has no way out. You know, he's cornered, everyone's got guns on him, on his head. The SWAT teams all around him, and he finally realizes, okay, I have no other options here. I throw down my guns and I'll surrender. So we don't like the idea of surrender because it implies we've lost. We have been defeated. We're giving up. We're yielding control to a stronger opponent. But this truly is the picture of, of worship. As someone who is saying, I have no other options. I'm throwing down my alternative, my alternative plans. I'm throwing down you know, everything that my mind conceives I should do with my life. And I'm saying to you, God... I'm yours. I give up. It's a powerful picture to really understand what God is asking of us in worship. To say, I offer myself to you. But God wants this. He wants total and complete surrender. And what that does is it challenges us in our pride. Because all of us carry around a tremendous amount of pride while we live. We all believe we deserve to get our way in life. Look at this this quote from A.W. Tozer. This is a powerful quote. He says, The reason why many are still troubled, still seeking, still making little forward progress is because they haven't yet come to the end of themselves. We're still trying to give orders and are interfering with God's work within us. And I, I feel like what a great picture of, of a defeated Christian life. If you're trying to connect with God but yet and you've responded to Him, but yet you have not come to the end of yourself in your own human reason, in your own intellect, in your own plans and ideas, then you have not fully surrendered to him. And I think sometimes we think, well, I've, I, I, I want to trust Christ in, in the way that He has said to trust Him. I want I want to believe what He says, but I don't want to let go. I'm going to hold some things close to me in my pocket, and and I'm I'm not going to completely surrender. And what happens, as Tozer is saying, is we're still troubled, we're still seeking after some things. We're still trying to find a quick fix and we're making very little forward progress in doing it. <clears throat> it's because this is the oldest temptation. Pride, when we don't abandon our pride, that's the oldest temptation in the Bible. If you remember in the very first book of the Bible, Adam and Eve, they were tempted by Satan in the Garden of Eden. And what did Satan say to Eve? I read the story with my son. He said, if you eat this, you know, this forbidden, from this forbidden tree... You know, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You will be like God. You can be like God. And so this, this is the temptation we all have is we want to call the shots in life. We want to be the one giving orders. And so the idea of surrendering to someone else, to surrender to God, is just not a real popular thought in our, in our day and age. We want to be God. and There's no way that we're going to win that struggle. The temptation always this temptation is always going to exist you have to push down your pride all the days of your life the scripture says and keep yielding to god the only answer is total and complete surrender that's why the verse in mark says all your heart all your mind all your soul all your strength with everything possible you surrender to god that's true worship so what does god want god wants me to love him according to this verse which we're going to kind of unpack that verse in mark god wants me first to love him thoughtfully with my whole mind, not just to go through the motions or to to shut God completely out of my thinking, but God wants us to engage our our very thoughts. He wants us to He wants to worship Him by thinking about Him, by engaging our mind and figuring out what it really means to love Him. If we're not careful, our love for God can just become some religious ritual, some duty that we just do, and we're all a bunch of robots walking in the same direction doing the same things we've always done and never fully engaging our mind in what it is god wants so we have to be careful of that worship is not just this this thoughtless ritualistic duty god wants our thoughts he wants our whole mind we're going to look at that god also wants me to love him passionately with my heart and soul he desires worship and love that comes from the very core of my inner being now this is hard for us for me to get my mind around as a man um Passion is something I think I probably, you know, lack. And in full heart emotion, you know, it's just hard to sometimes muster up a lot of passion. And, 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 and so this is a struggle. I want to look at that. How to, how, to, how to have a passionate. Because the scripture says, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul. That's a passionate love. The other thing is God wants us to love him practically. With all my strength. That's what the verse is. With all heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's a practical love. It, 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 we worship Him practically with our gifts, with our talents, with our abilities. And it's important that it's, it's all three of these things. It's practically, thoughtfully, and passionately. It's all these things because if we just emphasize one over the other, like, you know, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do the part where it says, love the Lord your God with all my mind. And that's it. Then we run into trouble. All we do is we end up investing ourselves in more and more knowledge, more and more thinking. We we discover all sorts of philosophies, and we just invest, invest, invest in in our mind, and we never have a place to pour it out, and we get puffed up in our pride. We need to practically love God. We need to passionately love Him, or or we just do this uh, extremely practical relationship with God, and where we just doing, 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 and 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 there's no passion behind it. We're just doing the duty, or there's no thought behind what we're doing, and so we. The scripture is trying to get at a balance in our relationship with Him, that we're with our thoughts, with all of our thoughts, with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength. So the way this looks is this: worship first is focusing my attention on God. That's the first thing. That's how we do the thoughts. That's how we get we love the Lord with all our mind. Is we focus our attention on Him. God wants our full attention. That's why He says all my mind. In many religions. In a lot of different world religions, um, meditation, you, you've heard of meditation. Meditation is to kind of put your mind in neutral, right? You're all familiar with the, the gear, the neutral gear where you're just not moving. In many world religions, this is the idea, is, is you meditate by just putting your mind in neutral. But the scripture says you're supposed to put your mind in gear. You're to be moving forward in your understanding of who he is or to be thinking actively about him it's about focusing on him and not just praying on autopilot but it's actually to be praying with with the guidelines and the the parameters that he's lift, that he's given us in the scripture he wants us to engage our thoughts he wants us to fully give our attention to him he simply he wants us to return the focus that he has on us back to him he's already focused on us he's look at this verse psalm 139 Passage in the Old Testament, very powerful about how God knows everything about us. Look at how focused He is on us. He says, you look deep into my heart, Lord, and you know all about me. You know, you know when I'm resting or when I'm working. You notice everything I do and everywhere I go. So God's focused on us. He wants to return that same kind of focus back to Him. It's not easy to focus on Him because we're often distracted. There's two things in particular that distract our focus on God. First is just ourselves. Our self-centered nature my self-centered nature, your self-centered nature, it battles with our ability to focus on who God is and what He wants. Because we're all born with this, what Scripture calls folly. The Hebrew term is eveleth. It's this, eveleth is a word that means, I want what I want. It's, I want my way in life. Even if it means I've got to hurt other people. Even if it means others don't get their goals. I want what I want, period. And we, we cling to the things we want. And this is a part of, of our lives from the time we're born. We, we arrive on planet Earth and we are stubborn little kids. And if you're a parent and you, and you have a two-year-old and three-year-old, you see this. Man, they just, they're not letting up, are they? It's because they have that folly in their hearts and it needs to be trained out of them. And sometimes our parents don't do the best job of training it out of us. And so we arrive as adults As adults, and we still, we want what I want. And we lock on our goals. And that stubborn, self-centered nature, it distracts our focus. We can't fully focus our attention on God because of that. And the more we feed our folly, the more it's not dealt with. The more we feed it, the more it grows out of control. So the only way to get at your folly and to deal with self-centered nature is to consistently um, beat it down. And to consistently do not what we want, but to do what God wants. So it, it, it's not a passive, you can't have a passive approach when it comes to focusing on God. You have to take an active approach. Because the folly, if you think about it, if you're in exercise and you're eating right and you're doing everything right, but you still have a little bit of, you know, we'll just use the term flab, and you're like, man, I got this extra flab and I need to, I, I got to get this flab off. I'm going to grab my flab here for you all to see. You know, here's, here it is. I can't get this off. Well, it's because I've got to consistently tackle that. I have to do some exercise. I've got to eat better. I have to attach to this. I have to, I have to focus on it. The same thing is with our folly. Our folly, if we don't deal with it, it just keeps growing. That stubborn, self-centered nature, it will not go away by just ignoring it. So we have to focus on dealing with the self-centeredness. The other thing is, well, and look at this verse, Romans 8, 7. Focusing on the self, this is from the message, which is a paraphrase of Romans chapter 8. It says, focusing on the self is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God. If you get too wrapped up in it, you'll just ignore Him altogether. Ending up thinking about, more about self than God, that person ignores who God is and what He's doing. See, so you can't do both. Another thing is our self-centered culture distracts our ability to focus our attention on God. Um, that we know of, Earth is the only inhabitable place that humans can live. Right? We've got all the natural resources of, uh, of you know, oxygen and water and all these things that we that can support human life. Mars, you know, it looks. Scientists have been trying to find water on Mars so that humans can live on Mars. But our our society that we live in does not support the culture or does not support the lifestyle that would allow you to focus on God. We have a self-centered culture that we live in that doesn't support growing a godly life and a worship-centered life. It It has a culture that drives you to focus on yourself, your needs, your goals, your agenda, and just keeps feeding it, feeding it, feeding that folly. And so because of that, we get sucked into the pull of the world. Look at this verse, Romans twelve. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you just fit into it without even thinking. You don't even realize. We don't even realize we're sucked into the culture and the pull on our lives towards ourselves. So, how do you focus your attention on God? First thing, you spend time daily with Him. Because if we're so caught up in the in the culture that we live in, and we don't spend time with God and seeing what his, how His ways are different. There's just very little we can do to um, to combat the ways of the world. So we have to we have to spend time with Him daily. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew six. Here's what I want you to do: find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. So He's saying, don't do it in public because if you do it in public, your your time with Me might be to look good before other people. He's saying so just get away from other people. Find a quiet, secluded place. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can, man, as you can manage. the focus will shift from you to God, and you will begin to sense His grace. This is really true. if you 'll pull back from the busyness of your life and, and, and have some time that's quieted to God, God will speak to you. God'll redirect your mind, he'll redirect the self-centeredness that we all battle with. So He wants us to consistently pray, He wants us to consistently get into the Bible, and if you'll do that, God will meet you there. If you ignore regular time with God, then there's almost nothing you can do to battle self-centeredness. And to live a life of purpose will almost be impossible. We need God speaking to us on a regular basis. The other thing is, talk to God throughout your day. You know, it's important to spend and to carve out some time that you'll spend with Him, but then as you're going about your day to talk to Him, look at Psalm 105.4. It says, Go to the Lord for help and worship Him continually. The Scripture says in in the Book of Thessalonians, we're to pray continually. We're to have this conversation with God throughout the day, as we're going about our day, as we're as we're living, as we're working, as we're relating to others. That we also include God in that conversation. So as we go on with our day, you can whisper prayers to God, or you can just de- redirect your focus towards Him, and and what He wants. And here here's the benefit you find in Isaiah twenty six three. If you'll put your trust in Him throughout the day, you will. Scripture says, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you. All whose thoughts are fixed on you. That's God's promise. That if you'll, if you'll trust in Him, He'll give you the ability to have this peace in your life, even amidst crazy, chaotic times. You might be going through some really heavy things in your life right now. And there's just, the world might be just going nuts and you're just trying to stay grounded and figure out how to, how to survive all this. And I think that's what this verse is getting at, that God wants to grant us perfect peace amidst chaos if you will keep trusting in Him. And the way to do that is to throughout your day, to keep saying, God, I'm going to focus on you. I want to, is to just keep talking to Him. Say, God, I know you know where I'm at in this. And God is somehow able to give you an experience that is called peace. You're familiar with the eye of the storm, the idea where when the hurricane, you know, we live on the West Coast and so we don't get any hurricanes really. But, you know, you we get a maybe a tornado once in a while out here. And But the idea in a tornado or the hurricane is that there's this eye of the storm, right? And when you're in the eye of the storm, what is it? It's peaceful, right? It's calm. But out, if you step outside the eye of the storm, that's where all the damage is done, right? And so when you trust in God, he, he it's like we're in the eye of the storm. And that He protects us, He watches over us. We recognize that things are swirling on the outside, but we understand that he's still in control and that he's watching or he loves us. And so focusing on him is like that. It's like saying to him, God, keep me right there in, in, in the eye of the, the craziness, the eye of the storm. It's, I mean, none of us want to be in the middle of it or in a storm, but if I'm going to be in a storm, I want to be in the safe part of the storm. Worship is also expressing my affection to God. We're not going to spend too much time on this. But this is where you know, it says, all my heart, all my soul, really we're just returning back to God what He's already done. Scripture says He initiated this. Look at we love Him, First John says, because He first loved us. God initiated, He started this relationship with us. We don't get to have a relationship with God because of the good things that we've done, but it's because He did the good that we needed. God is also not, He's not an angry tyrant. He's not mad at us trying to demand that we get on track with Him. He wants us first to, and what I mean by angry tyrant is, He doesn't want us just to come to Him and cower before Him and say, Here God, here's my life, I'm offering it to you. Or here's my stuff, and here's my resources, and here's my time. God, don't squash me. He's not an angry tyrant. He wants to know who we really are. He wants to relate to us. In a very personal way. Look at this verse in Hosea. Chapter 6. Verse 6. He says. I don't want your sacrifices. I want your love. I don't want your offerings. I want you to know me. See Israel had come to a point. That the people of Israel. God's people. Had pretty much ignored who God was. And what he said. And so. What would happen is. They'd get on these spiritual high points. In their life. They'd go on this rollercoaster ride with God. And they'd come to God. And they'd say. God here. Here's. You know, I'm sorry I've been neglecting you and abandoning you. Here here I am. And they would present all this stuff to him, offering different things. And he would say, I don't want your stuff. I want you. If you look at uh, Hosea chapter 6, verse 4, it's not on the screen, but it's, he says, God asks this question, What can I do with you, Ephraim? What can I do with you, Judah? Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. He's saying, you just... He's saying, it, it's, it's, it's gone. He says, you say you love me, but it's like the early morning dew that just, you look outside for a moment, grass is all dew and misty, and then a few minutes later, it's all dried up. And he says, I can't find your love. That's why he says in Hosea 6, six I don't want your sacrifices. I don't want your offerings. I just want you. I just want you to know me. This verse is really trying to help us understand that God wants the core of our being. He wants us to have a passionate, a real love for Him. He doesn't want our leftovers in life. He wants our first and our very best. When you get up in the morning, make this your goal. To know God and to love Him more. If that's your goal in life, I want to today I want to wake up, I want to know Him, and I want to love Him more, then you can't go wrong. Even if your day goes bad... You can still accomplish that goal and say, "Wow, I pleased God today. That was a good day. I knew Him. I loved Him more and more throughout the day." Look at that's what this Exodus thirty four says. He is a God who's passionate about His relationship with you. God wants to He wants to relate to us. He doesn't want ritual. He doesn't want duty or obligation. He wants to just He wants to relate to us in a very very real way. And one key way to do that is to have gratitude. If, if we have gratitude, if we're grateful to God, it warms, it, it warms his heart to know that we're grateful for the things that he gives us, the things that he provides for us. Romans says, give yourselves. So just give yourselves completely to God since you've been given new life. That's understanding our gratitude. If we're grateful for him, then we keep offering ourselves back to him. The last thing is this. Worship is using my abilities for God. God wants us to use... All of our strength, Mark says. All of our strength. Love Him with all of our strength. That is using my abilities. So loving my wife, my kids, doing my chores, cutting the lawn, taking out the trash, washing the dishes, babysitting my kids. It's not really babysitting your kids if you're a dad, by the way. (laughs) We sometimes mistake that. (laughs) But, you know, watching my kids, playing with my kids... Whatever we're doing can be an act of worship. It can be a time where we say, God, I love you. I want to know you. And in the midst of this, would you show me more about who you are? Colossians says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. As though you were working for the Lord and not for people. So as we go about our day on the job or in the home or wherever God has you, to just say, God, help me to work at everything I do with my whole heart. May this be an act of worship before you as I relate to you. When you commit your life to Christ, if you've come to the point of doing that, God doesn't change your job. He doesn't necessarily give you a new job. But the way you do it and who you do it for and how you do it changes. You may be for, let's say you delivered papers and then you commit your life to Christ. Now, who you work for and how you deliver papers changes because it's an act of worship. He wants to. He, he gets pleasure as we do what we do for Him. It's, it's a very different way of thinking. Romans 12.1 in the message says, Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. We are all wired to worship something. God has made us to worship. He wants us to worship Him. And if we choose not to worship Him, we'll put something else there in that place of, of importance. And we'll worship money, we'll worship work, we'll worship people, we'll worship power. God wants us to worship Him every day. That ought to be our goal. This simple statement found in 2 Corinthians is, so we make it our goal to please Him. This is a commitment, this is really, the de- this is a definition of what it means to follow Christ. To say, God, I want to carry out your goals in my life today. God's purpose for us is to live His purposes, not, not our own. Just to wrap up, I want to tell you, give you another quote. Before the quote comes up, I worked for a, a, a Christian ministry for five years. It was called Campus Crusade for Christ. And the founder of that ministry, his name was Bill Bright. He's passed away. Um, but that, that ministry was, the, I think, the largest Christian ministry in the world at that time. But they had, they had helped 150 million people come to know Jesus Christ They'll, that will spend eternity with him. In heaven, with with God in heaven, as a result of this man's ministry and his faith and the way that he grew this organization to reach out around the world, there's a film called the Jesus film, which is the most widely circulated film that has the life of Jesus. You know, over four billion people have seen this this film. Just God has done some tremendous thre- things through that man's life, Bill Bright. And here's a quote: when he was asked, "What's the reason that God has used you?" in ministry so powerfully. This is what he said. He said, When I was a young man, I made a contract with God. I literally wrote it out and signed my name at the bottom. And it said, From this day forward, I am a slave of Jesus Christ. And the times that I heard Bill Bright talk, he would bring this up. He'd talk about, I'm a slave to Jesus Christ. I no longer carry out the will, my own will, my own plans. I've given my life complete to Him. And, and that's what worship is all about. It's just saying to God, I want to carry out your plans. So would you consider surrendering everything to Him today? Would you consider identifying the things that are holding you back and just saying, God, I will release those things to you so that you can, so that you can serve your purposes through my life? Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we, we love you. And it's easy to say, but God, what a challenge is it for us to do that. For us to truly love you back. God, You've already proven Your love to us. You've already shown us how important we are to You. And, and God, you're, you're so good, Father. Lord, this, this purpose is such a challenging one, to worship You all the time with everything we have, all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Lord, we ask You for the power to do that. We ask You to help us understand what this really means, how it practically can look in our life, Lord Jesus. Pray that if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, Lord. I pray that they would get to the point where they are desperate to find out how to follow you and how to begin a new life through Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.